Hello! Welcome to Dungeon Delving. I'm Brandon Wagner, and today I'm continuing my series of episodes on the classes by delving into the Warlock. Warlock is my favorite class that I've never played. Warlock is really unique, I feel, compared to the other two main spellcaster classes, and I feel like Warlock has a lot going for it that gets looked over because of some of its shortcomings and the, uh, the fact that they like to cast Eldritch Blast a lot. Um, so Eldritch Blast, if you're not familiar with it, is a cantrip that they get, and it is very, very powerful for a number of reasons. Um, at first, right away, it's a cantrip. It has one action cast time. It's instantaneous, verbal and semantic components, 120-foot range, and it's 1d10 force damage. <laughs> and as you uh, reach 5th, 11th, and 17th level, you add beams. So it becomes kind of like Magic Missile, just shooting off more 1d10 force damage beams. So it's a very, very powerful cantrip that gets... Um, powered up by some of the Eldritch invocations you can pick, which we'll talk a little bit about those in a minute. And additionally, what they did to make Warlock's spellcasting unique lends it towards being a Eldritch Blast Cannon. So at 20th level, a Warlock has four spell slots total, and all of them are fourth level spell slots. So to differentiate it from the other casters, the Warlock can only cast its spells using its most powerful available spell slot, which it gets 5th level spell slots at level 8, 9, sorry, level 9, and that's all it has until 20th level is 5th level spell slots, and it maxes out at 4. So, you rely on your cantrips a lot, Um, but to make up for not having very many spell slots... The there's a lot of features of the warlock that make up for that. You have elders invocations. You have your pack boon, which your packed boon, which one of the options can give you more spells. You have a mystic arcanum feature, and uh, yeah. So we'll talk about that feature when we start talking about the features. But the warlock, the reason that I want to play the warlock is because. Because of the different pack boons and the different Eldritch invocations, it is... No two warlocks are going to look the same, even with the same archetype. Um, And the other thing that makes me really want to play the warlock is the difference between the archetypes are the different patrons. So while wizards study for their magic and sorcerers are born with it, warlocks enter into packs with otherworldly beings to grant them this power. And so what that means is that when you have a warlock in your game, that that means that you have this otherworldly being. It exists in the multiverse. Um, somewhere in the multiverse is your fiend, your archfey, your old one, your celestial, your celestial, and your uh, shadowfell entity that the hexblade uses. So the warlock has five archetypes, and they're all chosen at level one. And that's your uh, your your otherworldly patron. The player's handbook gives us the archfiend, or not the archfiend, the archfey, the fiend, the great old one, and then the Xanathar's guide gives us the celestial and the hexblade. So, 
a lot of what Warlock can do comes from that pact. And Warlock gets a lot more features and options than Sorcerer and Wizard because of its lack of spells. So essentially, um, you have... Well, well, we'll talk about the spells when we get to Mystic Arcanum. So, um, Warlock, let's, let's, let's talk its features and mechanics. So you get your Pack Magic right away, you get your Otherworldly Patron right away, and your saving throws are Wisdom and Charisma. And Charisma is your spellcasting ability. Um, at first level, you get you pick your Pact, your Patron, they have a first level feature, an expanded spell list, um, and then you also get your ability to cast spells. At second level, you start getting Eldritch Invocations. So you start out knowing two, and you max out at eight Eldritch Invocations, and there are a lot of them. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So that's part of why Warlock, no two Warlocks will look the same, because you have a page and a half in the player's handbook, and another page, I think, yeah, another page and a half in... Xanathar's Guide of um, Eldritch Invocation options. And some of them have... All of them have prerequisites. Some of them need you to know Eldritch Blast. Some of them need you to be a certain level. Some of them need you to have a specific um, pact... Or a, what is it? Pact boon? Yeah. A specific pact boon that you chose. And they help you customize your Warlock, give it more abilities. Some Eldritch Invocations make Eldritch Blast stronger or give it more utility. Some give you additional spells. Um, and all of them that give you extra spells let you cast it. Ca- you, you learn a spell and you can cast it without expanding a spell slot. So that's what that's how they make up for their lack of uh, spell slots. If you really want your Warlock to be casting a lot of spells, then you'll take invocations that give you spells. And some of them are really cool, like uh, Witch Sight lets you see things that are shape-changed, illusions, or in, or uh, transmuted. You can see their true form. Um, Devil Sight lets you see in both magical and non-magical darkness, 120 feet. Um, <clears throat> and then you have like Thirsting Blade that lets you take an extra attack with your packed weapon, uh, which we'll talk about when we talk about our uh, pack boons. So there's a lot of different things that you can do with your... And that's just from the player's handbook. I haven't even really looked at the Elder's Invocations in Xanathar's Guide yet. Not very much. You know, they do the kind of same thing. You get more spells, more uh, buffs to uh, Elder's Blast, more ways to use your different uh, boons, your different pack boons, and yeah, there's just a lot you can do with it to really customize your warlock. So at third level, you get a pack boon, and there are three options for your pack boon, and none, there are no extra ones in Xanthar's Guide, so if you have, you're looking in the player's handbook, you don't gotta look for any more. Um, Pact of the Chain gives you a familiar, and you can choose, um, a normal form, or you can choose Imp, Pseudo Dragon, Quasit, or Sprite. So Imp or Quasit for your uh, um, Imp for your what is it? 
infernal or fiend, uh, pseudo dragon, or sprite for your fey, something like that. Um, you can also forego one of your own attacks for your familiar to make an attack, but mostly you're going to be using it for concentration spells, I think. Uh, the other second pact is Pact of the Blade, which lets you basically conjure a packed weapon in your empty hand. Um, you choose the form it takes each time you create it. You're proficient with it. Its damage counts as magical. There's a shitload of packed boons that are, uh, sorry, not packed boons, um, Eldritch Invocations that enhance it. Um, one of the invocations in Xanathar's basically lets you use Smite like a paladin, except for you're using uh, force damage. And because your warlocks only have one level of spell slot, you're basically going to be like, hey, I'm going to do an additional 68 force damage <laughs> because I only have 5th level spell slots to expend. Um, and then you've got Pact of the Tome, which lets you get a book called the Book of Shadows, and you choose three cantrips from any class's spell list. They don't all need to be from the same one, and you can cast those at will. Um, if you die, it turns to ash. If you lose it, you can summon a new one with a ceremony. It's pretty cool. At 11th level, you get Mystic Arcanum, which you actually, you kind of get this feature multiple times. Because what Mystic Arcanum does is it lets you learn a 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth level spell at 11th, 13th, 15th, and 17th level. And you can cast it without expending a spell slot. So this is how you get your spells above 5th level. Is you basically, you have, what is that, six, seven, eight, four uses of Mystic Arcanum. One for each spell level beyond 5th uh, level. So looking at the Warlock spell list, they don't get a ton of spells above that level. Um, actually, they get a lot more than I thought they did. <laughs> you know, you've got like five, four or five options for seventh, eighth, and ninth, and then I think seven, eight for sixth level. And but these are these are things you can only cast once per day, so you're gonna want to pick, choose wisely, basically, because this is a once per long rest use. Um. Something I forgot to mention is that the Warlock can regain their spells a little bit easier, I believe. Yes. Unlike other spellcasters who might have features to let them gain a handful of spell slots with a short rest, but to regain them all, they need a long rest. The Warlock gets all of their spell slots back with a short rest. Um, but not your Mystic Arcanum. Those spells you only get back with your long rest. And then at 20th level, you get Eldritch Master, which lets you spend one minute. Once per long rest, you can spend a minute in treating your patron and regain all of your spell slots. <laughs> all your warlock spell slots so and that's once per long rest so basically if it's like hey we don't have time for a short rest you can take a minute to just regain those spell slots from your uh, patron so we'll talk about 
the different patrons. So we have the Archfey first, which gives you some more spells. Uh, Fairy Fire, Sleep, Phantasmal Force, Blink, Greater Invisibility, Seeming. Just these kind of tricky spells. So this is this is like a more of a trickster warlock. At first level, you get a feature called Fey Presence, which lets you um, charm or attempt to charm or frighten uh, any creatures, each creature. So there's no, you don't choose. It's just each creature within 10-foot cube originating from you makes a wisdom saving throw, and if they fail, they are charmed or frightened, your choice. Um, at sixth level, you get Misty Escape, which lets you teleport 60 feet and turn invisible upon taking damage. And this is once per short rest. And uh, you remain invisible until you attack or cast a spell, or your next turn starts. At 10th level, you get Beguiling Defenses, which makes you immune to being charmed. And when another creature attempts to charm you, you can use your reaction to turn the charm back on them. At 14th level, you get Dark Delirium, and what that does is you can choose a creature within 60 feet of you and force it to make a wisdom saving throw, and on a fail, it's charmed or frightened by you. And um, until it ends, it thinks it's in like a misty realm, and it can only see it can only see and hear itself, you, and the illusion that you make. So, dark delirium is kind of a weird, tricky, fuck with people spell. <laughs> then we have the fiend. The Fiend gets you, of course, extra spells. You get Burning Hands, Scorching Ray, Fireball, Flame Strike, Wall of Fire. Fire spells, because your patron is a devil. <laughs> or a demon. Um, usually a demon lord or an archdevil, it says in the book. but um, But it also says stuff like Pit Fiends, Bellors, Ultraloths. They can do it, too. <clears throat> Um, at first level, whenever you reduce a hostile creature to zero hit points, you gain temporary hit points equal to your charisma modifier plus your warlock level, which is pretty freaking cool. At sixth level, you, once per short rest, gain the ability to, um, add 1d10 to your, uh, to your roll for an ability check or saving throw. At tenth level, you get... Fiendish Resilience, giving you... Upon finishing a short or long rest, you choose a damage type, and you have resistance to that damage type until you choose a different one with that feature. And Magical Weapons and Silver Weapons, however, will hit through that resistance. At 14th level, you gain a feature called Hurl Through Hell, which lets you... When you hit a creature with an attack, you can transport them to the lower planes. They stay there until the end of your next turn, and if it's not a fiend, it takes 10d10 psychic damage when it comes back. And that's a long rest feature. So that's pretty cool. You can hit something with your packed weapon and just send them to hell for a minute, for a few seconds. Have fun, buddy. Um, I like the kind of the imagery of this fiend warlock as being very much a... um. 
this kind of fits towards being a villain, but I also feel like if you wanted to, say, play Raven from Teen Titans in D&D, you could do a fiend-packed warlock and just be a character that has this fiendish power, but uses it for good. Um, one thing, if you if you have uh, Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, you can read up on the Blood War which is a never-ending war between the devils and the demons. And because a fiend pact can be with a demon or a devil, you could very easily, you know, have your pact have been forged by, like, let's say you have an archdevil as your patron, and the um, the details of your, the conditions of your contract, of your pact, are that you use your powers to destroy demonic cults so that they can't get a foothold on the prime material and gain any advantage in the war. Or vice versa, if you have a demon as your patron, you know, then it's a little more uh, destroy devil cults. The other thing about it is because devil, devils, <laughs> demons, devils, and yuggaloths all have, they all are aspects of evil so you have lawful evil with devils chaotic evil with demons and neutral evil with yuggaloths so you can kind of play your character no matter what your alignment is just kind of change their personality a little bit to kind of match that with a a a pact of the fiend warlock whose pact is with a devil being much more crafty while a demon one is much more destructive and a, a neutral one is very, you know, astute and likes, and what's the word I'm looking for? Like, they like to reel and deal and they, they pay attention to what people are doing and they learn how to, they, they look to export, extort weaknesses and find ways to advance their position, stuff like that. And then finally for the player's handbook, we have the Great Old One. And this is the warlock that's very much the occult, very much Lovecraftian, very, uh just kind of creepy and insane. Um, <clears throat> you get some extra spells like Dissonant Whispers, Tasha's Hideous Laughter, uh, Detect Thoughts, Dominate Beast, Everage Black Tentacles, Telekinesis. So you get these like mind powers. At first level, you also get Awakened Mind, which lets you telepathically speak to any creature you can see within 30 feet. You don't need to share a language, but, and you and that creature can understand each other but that creature needs to be able to understand at least one language. At 6th level, you get Entropic Ward, which um, when a creature makes an attack roll against you, you can use a reaction to impose disadvantage on that roll. And if it misses you, your next attack roll against that creature has advantage, and that's a once-per-short-rest feature. Most of the Warlock features are per short rest. Um, they don't have a lot of features that they can just do all the time, but they have the ability to refresh everything with a short rest, or almost everything anyway. I'm noticing that as I read back through these. At 10th level, you get Thought Shield. Um, you have resistance to psychic damage, and whenever a creature deals psychic damage to you, they take the creature that dealt that damage takes that much psychic damage. And then at 14th level, you get Create Thrall which you can use your action to touch an incapacitated humanoid. That creature is charmed by you until a remove curse spell is cast on it, the condition is removed from it, or you use the feature again. 
and you can communicate telepathically with your thrall as long as the two of you are on the same plane of existence. So you can really use this to your advantage for combat and not combat. You know, if you're not in combat, you can just... If it's not a combat thing, you can just have a spy. If it is a combat thing, you have an ally in a fight. In Xanathar's Guide, we get two more patrons. Uh, the first is the Celestial, and this is the one that I pers personally am the least interested in playing. <laughs> uh, you get some extra spells. You get Cure Wounds, Lesser Restoration, Revivify, uh, Greater Restoration, you know, healing spells. You also get Light and Sacred Flame as cantrips, as bonus ones. At first level, you gain a pool of D6s, and the number of die is equal to 1 plus your Warlock level. And as a bonus action, you can heal a creature um, to a maximum of... So you can use a number of dice equal to your Charisma modifier. So even if you have 21 dice, you only have plus 5 Charisma. You can only use 5 die at a time. And just use that to restore the health. Uh, that's a long rest uh, refresh, not e not a short rest. At 6th level, you gain Radiant Soul, which gives you resistance to Radiant Damage. And when you cast a spell that deals Radiant or Fire Damage, you can add your Charisma modifier to 1... What? This is... Hold on. <laughs> you can add your Charisma fire to 1 Radiant or Fire Damage roll of that spell against one of its targets. So, I guess 1 of the die. You can just add that damage. Um, at 10th level, you gain temporary hit points whenever you finish a short or long rest, and it's equal to your charisma modifier plus your warlock level, and you can also give those, or half your warlock level plus your charisma modifier to nearby allies when you finish that uh, short or long rest. So just having a celestial... Uh, Warlock in your party gives you a shield at the start of each day, essentially. At 14th level, you get Searing Vengeance. When you make a death saving throw, you can instead spring back to your feet equal and regain hit points equal to half your hit points. And also stand up. Each creature within 30 feet of you of your choice takes 2d8 plus your Charisma Modifier Radiant Damage and is blinded. And it's once per long rest. So it's another, a lot of classes I feel like have somewhere among their archetypes a when you would die. <laughs> um, instead, you don't and do this. And then finally we have the Hexblade, which the Hexblade was a, was a archetype that I initially, I think, misunderstood just from the name. I imagined the Hexblade right off the bat to be a, you know, using a weapon, but... Being a Hexblade doesn't give you necessarily a weapon. It's actually the uh, Blade Pact Boon that does it. Um, the Hex, All of the Warlocks, every Warlock archetype, I should say, is very capable of being like a spell sword character, a character who casts spells and fights with a weapon. And the Hexblade, though, is just a little bit better at it. So the Hexblade is the foil to the Archfey Pact in that it gets its power from a mysterious entity from the Shadowfell. And 
they have a lot of really interesting powers, I think. Um, so your expanded spells has things like Wrathful Smite, Blur, Elemental Weapon, Blink, Cone of Cold. So just kind of these like dark, shadowy powers. You also gain the ability to place a curse on someone. As a bonus action, you choose a creature you can see within 30 feet. It's cursed for one minute. And this is once per short rest. And you gain bonus to damage rolls against the cursed target, equal to your proficiency bonus. Any attack roll against the cursed target is a critical hit on a 19 or 20. And if it dies, you regain hit points equal to your warlock level plus your charisma modifier. A lot of what the Hexblade does is kind of built around that curse. So if you're fighting something with a big fat health pool, you're going to want to wait to curse it until you think you can kill it within 10 rounds. Um, also at first level, you get Hex Warrior, which lets you um, do a lot of... It actually has a lot. There's a lot of text with this feature. But first off, you get proficiency with medium armor, shields, and martial weapons. You also gain... Um, after finishing a long rest, you can touch a weapon that you're proficient with, and instead of using strength or dexterity for your, uh, uh, modifier for that, you use charisma. It, it, uh, lasts until you do a long rest, and if you get the Pact of the Blade feature, this benefit extends to every packed weapon you conjure. At 6th level, you can curse the soul of a person with a cursed specter. Um, when you slay a humanoid, you can cause its spirit to rise as a specter. It gains temporary hit points equal to half your warlock level. You roll initiative for it. It has its own turns. It obeys your commands. And it has a bonus to its attack rolls equal to your charisma modifier. And it remains there until your next long rest. And you can only do this once per long rest. At 10th level you gain a feature called Armor of Hexes. And when a creature cursed by you, by your Hexblade curse, hits you with a attack roll, you can use your reaction to roll a d6. And on a 4 or higher, it misses you, regardless of the roll. And at 14th level, when a creature cursed by you is slain, you can apply the curse to a different creature you can see. And by doing this, you can keep up that attack bonus that you have against cursed targets to more stuff, but you don't heal when it dies. So you kind of give that up, but you have that option to continue cursing things. So it's a little more useful for group fights. And it makes it so that this once per short rest feature has um, what's the word I'm looking for? More utility other than this boss monster is starting to get low so i'm gonna curse it you know um you can use it a little more reliably with that so the warlock in short is a lot more than just an eldritch blast cannon like yes eldritch blast is a monstrously powerful cantrip that grows only stronger with the kind of eldritch with the eldritch invocations you can get but it's still not everything a warlock can do. A warlock is such an interesting class to me because there's so many things you can do and no two warlocks will really ever look alike because you have so many options with invocations, with pact boons, with just the spells you can take. Um, the fact that whether you're playing a 
Hexblade or a Celestial or a Archfey Pact, you can always do a Sword and Magic character. You could always do a Pure Magic character. Um, you just you have these options, and it's it makes the Warlock very uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, enticing for a player like me who has lots of ideas that he never gets to use because that is the woe of a D&D player. But <laughs> uh, besides that, the Warlock, if you're going to play a Warlock, I definitely recommend that you sit down with your DM, open up Xanathar's Guide. It has a lot of little bits about your relationship with your patron, where your patron came from, the kinds of things your patron demands of you, and you can sit down with your DM and talk about that stuff and make the patron's influence a part of your game if you want. As a dungeon master, I really want to blend my characters' backstories with the adventures they go on, especially if I have a much more loosely structured campaign rather than a very story-focused one. Kind of, you know, like an adventure of the month type thing. You know, we'll do three or four sessions on this adventure, three or four sessions on that. And that kind of a campaign structure makes it really easy to involve your players' backstories with your, advent- with your next adventure. And you could very easily be like, hey, your, your patron appears to you in a dream and s- sends you on a fetch quest. And the party comes with you because you're a team now, you know? And, or... Maybe your warlock is trying to. Maybe your warlock's motivation is to find a way out of its pact without losing its power. If 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 uh, if you play Magic: The Gathering, you'll think of like Liliana. Liliana's a warlock. If she were in D anD D, she enters packs with a number of demons who give her a lot of power, and then she gets strong enough to start killing them without losing her power. That is just a warlock. That could be your warlock's motivation: is I want to get strong enough to get out of my pact without losing everything. Um, maybe your patron's awesome and you guys get along really, really well. Who knows? There's a lot of different ways to look at the relationship with the patron. And as a DM, working with a warlock player to flesh that out and make that a part of your game world is, it's gotta be rewarding. There's no way it wouldn't be. Um, take the time to do it if you're gonna play a warlock. Take the time to sit down with your DM and develop that and if your dm says you know what i don't really want to bring in that i want to have a much more story focused campaign i don't want to bring in these outside elements very much then one of the options in xanathar's guide is perfect for you it's you don't ever hear from your patron but you dread the day that you might one day you know they might show up one day and you're kind of nervous about it so that way if your if your dm doesn't want to involve the patron with the storyline or any of their adventures they want to send you on, you have that option. But if the DM ever changes their mind, it's open. So Warlock is a great class. It's so much more than an Eldritch Blast cannon. And I think it's really underappreciated as a result. That's all I've got. Next week's our last episode on the classes. And that should be... I don't imagine I'll ever do so many episodes part of a series ever again i might do it's like i plan to do a series on like dragons i plan to do a series on some of the campaign setting books but none of them will be as many episodes as this or the races so we'll start getting into a lot more variety of content after next week's wizard episode so look forward to that and 
lots of cool stuff coming. I have so many ideas I want to talk about. But that's all for this week. We'll see you next week. Keep on delving.